Welcome back to the Media Committee Club podcast. I'm John Kissel. With me tonight is Sean Riley. Hello. And superfan Megan Gerard. Hello. You almost did there, it again. There, there I did. I did. I really want to. Really want to use that maiden name. Yes, with the maiden name. I really, I really do. It takes a lot of focus to uh, prevent. It, it's, it's a, it's an Amon Vagar relationship between my brain and my mouth. There you go. To fair be enough. fair, your initials on the on Skype on screen here is are exactly, here. exactly. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. I mean, to, and to be really fair, I moved my maiden name to my middle name, so it's not completely gone, you know, from my life. So I would answer to it. Okay. Yeah. For the future, when I fuck up, maybe I will yeah. edit it out. Maybe I will. Who knows? It'll be fun for the listener to wait and find out what I do with with this bit right here. Two years uh, from now, when we come yeah. back. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we're here tonight to discuss the finale of the first season of House of the Dragon. We're going to save our season summing up thoughts for the end of the episode once we get through, once we chop up uh, the the finale. But uh, quick around the horn, what did everybody think of the finale? Megan? Uh, I really liked it. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, the episode leaked a week early. And a lot of people had super negative things to say about it. So I had very low expectations going into it, which is maybe why I liked it so much. But I was incredibly pleasantly surprised. Riley, finale thoughts? Yeah, you know, that was fine. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I was expecting more. I didn't pay any attention to the leak or any of the information that had come out. I saw that it leaked, but um, I think all season long, they could have benefited from not sticking to one hour. Hmm. It's the season finale. Give me 78 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I think that's really fair. Yeah, I agree. I, we do okay here at the Media Community Club with our critiques and our criticisms. And uh, I, I, without having read a lot of reviews necessarily, and the ones that I have have been pretty favorable. I'm sure unfavorable favorable ones are out there, both of the, of the finale and the show in general. But uh, people have landed on more or less the same thing that we have, where you just lose a lot of a lot of interactions and relationships in the time jumps and it makes big events like happened in this finale a little harder to really empathize with. Um, I was spoiled on this episode because of the leak. I didn't watch it, but just the, somehow the Twitter algorithm has figured out that I'm a fan of this show and all of the, all of the tweets that show up in my feed from people that I don't follow seemed to be about this and it was a lot of uh just just blatant spoilers and i was surprised at myself for how upset in my stomach that made me <laughs> like this like 14 year old kid is gonna get chomped like it wasn't the most gruesome thing in the world certainly but that's just more into how invested i am in the show that just news of this actor I've never seen before leaving the show who was in it for like three episodes total uh two episodes total I'm gonna I'm gonna miss that little beaver that little beaver kid uh, but we'll save that for the end uh I, I I again I'm pro I'm pro this finale I've been pro this last several episodes Riley we missed you in the last podcast episode any change in your thoughts of the season based on how those last couple went no I'm mostly positive on the season Okay, great. Yeah, and and again, I'm, we'll... I'm no Tom Topper, who we, you know, really needed to get on just because he he, a... he sent me a good 200 word text a few weeks ago. 
<laughs> he always had some real strong contrarian opinions when we could reliably count on him to to offer them. And I mean, a lot of his opinions are fair. I think he he strong he points out that uh, given all the time jumps and everything, that the show would be nothing if not for the existence of Game of Thrones, and that you're familiar with who everybody is, you know, and you can hand wave the time jumps because you more or less know who people are and who are, what's going to happen, even if this particular story is new for you. Standalone, he, he kind of hates the show. Okay, fair enough. That is so interesting to me because I was just saying before we started recording that I think it's the opposite. Um, because my husband begrudgingly watched the last season of Game of Thrones, but is a book reader and hasn't watched the first seven seasons. And I think he is enjoying this show at times more than I am because he hasn't seen Game of Thrones. So his expectations are spectacle, right? Dragons, battles, things like that. And his expectations of storytelling are a little bit lower, I think, than those of us who watched Game of Thrones for yeah, 10 that'll, years. That'll yeah, he only watched the worst season. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the bulk of this episode is those sitting in rooms scenes that we have previously played praised on Game of Thrones and the show as well. And we start the episode with exactly that, with Rhaenys coming in from a previous episode, um, having not roasted everybody. Uh, we said in our last podcast that the show really needed... To, we, we gave the show the benefit of the doubt that she made this choice to not roast all the greens, probably for a good reason. And we really needed someone to both confront her about it and for her to explain herself because it is kind of a strange thing to do. And we get about two sentences worth of that. Damon is justifiably upset when he, when, she doesn't exactly say what happened, but she certainly implies it and he's able to put it together. Uh, and all she, all she really says is that if a war is going to happen, it's not up to me to start it. Is it up to her to end it? Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, where we landed on the previous episode, me in particular, was that the way out of this, like, critical problem is if she's able to uh, parlay that into some kind of starter peace talks. Like, I had this opportunity to end this. I didn't. And now here's what you're going to do for me. In the, in the same way that Missaria talked with Otto. Not that she would know anything about that, but as far as the show is concerned, it's like thematically rhyming. Nope. Uh, and this has been a problem throughout the season as well, where like big things will happen. Um, Allison will try and stab Rhaenyra. The Strongs will get burned alive. Uh, someone will get beat to death at a wedding. And there's either a time jump in the immediate aftermath, so it doesn't. So like too much time has gone by to discuss it, or the show just kind of hand waves over it. And this is definitely in the negative column for me where the show is hand waving over this. Does anybody have a more charitable reading of that? I thought I mean, the reason was fine, but you're, but yeah, there's no follow up. Yeah. It's like a pivotal, a pivotal choice that the show is never going to talk about again. They might show the, like the ruins of the place that Rainus flew out of, but no one's ever going to talk about it. Yeah, I find it frustrating that there are simple answers to these questions. And this one is just that the gravest sin in this world is to be a kinslayer. Mm -hmm. 
you wouldn't know that if you hadn't read the books. So the majority of people watching the show haven't read the books. They don't understand that. For people who have, it's very obvious. Like, oh, she doesn't want to be a kinslayer. That is her family. To kill them is like the biggest sin of all. It would take 10 seconds to explain that in the show, right? But it would also, and explaining that in the show would also give more gravity to what happens at the end of this episode why it's worth fighting a war over. And we're all just kind of left to figure that out, you know, via the internet or our friends who have read the books. And I do find that incredibly frustrating because I can put two and two together outside of the show and make it make sense. But like, why wouldn't you just put that in the show and make it make sense? Yeah. That's not your responsibility as a viewer. Like the show should be presenting you with stuff to put the pieces together and and yeah, I don't, have, I don't think they've done a good job with it in this, in this specific area. Maybe their version of the kind of extended explanation is when she's meeting with Corliss and, you know, defends Rhaenyra as the, the one level hooded person in the world. Maybe, maybe in the moment, in the, uh, instead of roasting them, she was contemplating, if I kill them, Rhaenyra's in charge with Damon. And I don't know if that's what I want to happen, but then, you know, watching her with her, Small, with her version of the small council, she decides that, yes, she is the, the better of the two. Yeah. Yeah, there's enough there to where you can, like, uh, hand wave it away. And I, that's it, as good as we're going to get, I think. It Something shows like somebody with a great mastery over their dragon as well, which I think, again, is important for this episode. But they just don't talk about it enough. Like, these things are happening, and everything is happening so quickly in this world that some of these things that I can see what they were going for doesn't seem to be discussed or highlighted enough for it to actually make a huge impact as a viewer. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the rest of the episode, Rhaenys stays mostly neutral. Uh, She is very notably calling Rhaenyra a princess after everyone else is calling her queen. She is... uh, the camera is catching her in the background of shots, not bowing and not kneeling. And she's waiting for her husband's input, Input, who has survived his brush with death in uh, episode eight. And uh, in this period of both war fighting and, and his last little bout of hospitalization, uh, he's coming around to her way of thinking, we should have stayed out of it. We did all this for nothing. Our children are dead as far as they know. Uh, but it's too late. They're committed. Their granddaughters are, are very much in the mix. And as Riley, you mentioned earlier, Rhaenyra is, is demonstrating herself to be a rational and a calm leader thus far. So they both declare for Rhaenyra and get to work blockading King's Landing from the Stepstones and with, with uh, Corliss's ships. And Rhaenys and her dragon are going to guard the the bay into King's Landing. Opening blows. Yeah, we're, we're starting out. I mean, the sides are very uneven at this point, I think. Then the Blacks, Rhaenyra's side, they really need allies and forces on. Because if it's always going to be an underdog fight, that I don't think that's going to be fun to watch. I would like it to be equal, at least in the early going. And, like, this goes a long way. If, if the Valarians are as, like, powerful as everybody says they are, like, this goes a long way towards that. Well, the Valarians have certainly been at war for a long time, so hopefully they are not too depleted. Yeah, and it seems like 
ships would be pretty useless against dragons, as we saw in Game of Thrones. Like, those were little dragons, too, in, in context. It does give Rhaenyra's side more military-minded people, because you've got really the highlight or the underlining factor of Viserys's rule was peace, right? And so you've got two of the only people in the realm who have actually been at war are now lining up behind Rhaenyra. So even if they're not evenly matched numbers-wise, which is important, I think that at least, like, strategically, they do seem to have an advantage. Yeah, and that takes up a big chunk of our next segment, which is what are Rhaenyra and Daemon up to? Her priority first is get this baby out of me. This is probably going to be the last birth we see in the show, probably. Uh, another bad time, another particularly bloody birth scene that just ends with a stillborn baby, quick cremation. I feel like they turned that around in an afternoon. <laughs> and at the cremation, uh, the black twin, which is what I'm going to refer to him as forever. The other one is the green twin. And if they're ever seen together and they're not wearing their colors, I'm not going to be able to tell the difference and I don't care to. If I, if I go through this entire series never knowing if Eric or Eric is on which side, so much the better. I don't care. I, I was going to say, you could always just tell them apart by name. They're both, you know, Eric or Eric. Yeah, super helpful, George. Great job. Uh, is it the same actor playing both or is it two actors? It's, it's twins in real life. Oh, shit. Those guys look a lot alike, even for twins. Uh, the Black Twin shows up with Viserys' crown. He was able to squirrel that out of King's Landing and presents it to Rhaenyra, swears himself to her, and she is then crowned by Daemon. So, uh, yeah, done, done with done with births. The, show, the first season has really hit on how terrible having a baby in medieval times would just be a trash experience. So thank you. We get it. Yeah, it's not making me look forward to it at all. As a woman, I'm so fucking done with birthing scenes in this show. Like, it's been traumatic this season. And I wonder if it's not, you know, uh, if it's not like a nod to Roe v. Wade and all of that shit. If it is fucking stupid. And I hate HBO for doing it. But, like, they have to stop at some point with these god-awful fucking birthing scenes. I, 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 I get it. Like they said in the first episode, uh, the birthing bed is our battlefield or something to that effect. Okay. I mean, do the one that goes bad, do the one that goes fine, that is still a, you know, a pain in the ass. And, and yeah, we got it. That's enough. There's been four <laughs> this season. Ah, <laughs> uh, geez. It's like superficially interesting that all this is happening at the very moment when Rhaenyra is, needs to be, like, asserting herself. And, um, it, like, it's an opportunity for for the actor to really sell their, their pain and their frustration with this process and their desire to just get it over with as soon as possible. But, you know, a sweaty actor who's, like, really... <laughs> this really looks to be under duress. Okay, yeah, enough, enough. While Rhaenyra is pushing out this stillborn baby, Damon is extracting loyalty oaths from the King's Guard uh, at Caraxes Point. Jace is watching. Who knows what kind of lesson he's learning from this? He's kind of a somewhat of a non-entity at this point, old Jace. Megan, you mentioned like control of your dragons being fairly integral to this episode and probably ongoing series. 
Uh, Damon seems to be the master dragon rider in this entire world, where he is in he's tightly connected to his dragon. They have like a theatrical back and forth where the dragon will show up at the exact right time to to screech and make its very cool note it's very cool like bird noises and then just pop its head over Damon's shoulder to sell uh what he's trying to communicate to these Kingsguard dudes. So love that. Love that about Damon. It's my favorite it makes dragon. Sense that he'd be the best. It does. He's the most connected to like the Valyrian stuff. He, like he 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 later sings a lullaby in Valyrian to a dragon. Uh, we saw him like hunting for eggs earlier. Just like this is going to be his utility as the series goes forward. Even as you know, he probably returns to being or becomes a huge dick. It seems based on a later scene. But uh, yeah, just his mastery over the dragons. I love. I, I really love that about him. Because like they're not gonna have anything like that on the green side, because it's just um, Allison's children that have them, and what what do they know really? Yeah, and I, I bet think if, that I bet Helena will be a good one. Oh, you're probably right. It's so hard to imagine her uh, doing much of anything combat wise. If she does, great, but it it just seems so outside of her skill set. Well, I know she's a dragon rider from the internet, so I, yes. I'm sure she has a good connection with with them because she talks to bugs. Yeah, they mentioned <laughs> that they mentioned that the greens have four dragons, so they probably hatched one for one of Aegon's kids. So they've got, you know, the monster. They've got two like normal dragons, average size dragons, and they've got a little baby. So you know, not nothing, but yeah, more Helena in general. I think would be would be great. She's emerging as as like a crowd favorite, and I can't disagree with that. Uh, Rhaenyra's first big council meeting as queen. Uh, we see that Stannis didn't know what he had with the painted table. Uh, apparently, it's a little, it's a little light bright that you can uh, shove a bunch of candles under and really make it pop with uh, with rivers and place names, et cetera, et cetera. Painted table looks fantastic. What a what an incredible prop! Great job, House of the Dragon production design. You killed it. Uh, there, she takes a very long time to speak, like a um, a noticeably long time. But once the meeting gets going, they're chopping up Westeros, who's with who. Uh, the Lannisters are solid greens. Uh, the High Towers and the um, the Tullys, who are their overlords, are solid green. And the Blacks 100% need some overlords on their house, with the remaining houses being the Baratheons, the Aarons, and the Starks. And the Tullys are unreliable. Uh, I mentioned in an earlier episode that I knew somebody in this period had really dumb names. I thought it was um, like Giants-related, New York Giants-related, but no, it's Sesame Street. Someone mentions Grover Tully. I think I really want to say his brothers are Elmo and Oscar. No, that's <laughs> bad. No, I, I, I think that's I think that's accurate. Well, but I thought only we we knew from Game of Thrones was Edmure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, normal fantasy medieval names, but uh, George was really scraping the bottom of the barrel for for. He ran out of ideas. Yeah, he wanted to, <laughs> he wanted to throw in a fun inside joke that only he would get. 
so he picked three iconic Muppets. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we'll probably see Tully's in the next season. You know, I imagine the bulk of the next season being like visiting all of these places and trying to get people on every on on everyone's side, like a series of alliance building. Uh, which I think so, will be a I lot of fun. the showrunner said that next season was going to be faster paced and funnier. I mean, Elmo Tully sounds like a laugh riot. So, he's got so a great... two things that absolutely no one has asked for, which is increased humor and increased speed. I can't fucking wait. <laughs> I trust. I trust that these that Ryan Candle and Sapochnik is out, but I trust that. Uh, Ryan Candle knows what he's doing. Like I'm, I'm on the Candle train after this season. Uh, Baratheons are maybe, Aaron's are maybe, Starks are maybe. Uh, they throw out some mention of who these various people are. Uh, the Baratheon Lord is the guy who, or is the son of the guy because so much time has gone by. But he had some nice rapport with Rhaenys in the premiere at the uh, at the tournament. Uh, could have maybe sent her, perhaps, here or there. Uh, the errands are led by a woman, so she might be amenable to a queen. And the Starks are led by a teen boy named Cregan. Cregan? Whatever. So he might find something in common with Jace. Like, Mom is essentially telling him to, you know, whore it up with this teenage, super powerful guy who, who reigns over a giant swath of Westeros. I personally would lean towards the Starks joining them, and then aren't the Aarons? Isn't that where um, Damon's dead wife was from? She was a Royce, which is a subhouse or like a, a liege house to the Aarons. So they're probably not big fans of him necessarily. I wouldn't send him to to talk to them, but they might be amenable in general. Maybe. Okay, so I'm thinking Starks only. That's they do mention the loyalty of the Starks, which I thought was really, like, that one kind of got me in the gut a little bit because it reminds you of Game of Thrones. But they mention, like, the Starks are not ones to turn back on their word. So that they're already laying that groundwork as well for the Starks to be, like, an actually noble house and underlining how much of the North that the Starks control from Winterfell. We don't. We only. The only one of these people that we see is is the Baratheon. So we'll catch up with the rest of them uh, next season, and we'll return to the Baratheon shortly. Um, we get a reenactment of an earlier scene in the season on the parapet with Otto presenting terms to Damon. Rhaenyra swoops in on her dragon, Cyrax, and he presents pretty generous terms to her. Uh, she gets to say to Lady of Dragonstone, her kids. Uh, get to continue uh, in the status quo, more or less. Like, Luke continues to be the Valarian heir, and Jace will be Rhaenyra's heir on Dragonstone, and uh, her kids by Daemon uh, are, would be held hostage. That's always, like, whenever they talk about uh, siring or squiring or anything like that, like, that's that's a hostage situation. Not the worst thing in the world, but Damon is obviously interested in Rhaenyra is a little, a little on the fence. I really like this scene. This this was like an early buy-in scene at the start of the season, and to return to this exact same spot for these like high-level negotiations, uh, good stuff. While they're running down all the great houses and the overlords, they are also running down 
all the dragons that the blacks have and all the dragons that are available to them. And uh, we were really ups- we were really disappointed earlier in the season that we didn't see more of Lena taming Vagar. That just that was just such a tremendous blown opportunity by the show to beef up her character and to uh, and to demonstrate like what is required to get one of these dragons to let you hop on its back. And they're potentially correcting that mistake with this scene and presumably future scenes where Damon is trying to lull this very old dragon in the ruins of Dragonstone to let him approach it. And then maybe at a, at a date in the future, someone will be able to write it. Um, I did a little internet research on this. This is believed to be Vermithor, who is the old king Jaehaerys's dragon. So it would be very old. And my understanding of dragons is that they only they don't stop growing as they age. They get bigger and bigger. So this is a big boy, and it would be a nice a nice asset for the blacks. Yeah, it's Vagar's sister. Okay, okay. And then there's several other. There's some wild dragons. There are some riderless dragons that are hanging around besides Vermithor. So lots of opportunities for the blacks here. I thought the scene looked great. This might be the normal uh, too dark for my TV complaint. Uh, it looked directly out of like a video game boss sequence. And I say that as a compliment. I thought it looked fantastic. No, I agree. So this is one you're in time. A cavern, it's supposed to be dark though. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is one time when it should have been dark and it was dark. And the like, reveal of that dragon was amazing. I'm really hoping that Bela gets this dragon. She has been waiting for a long time for this and she has for all intents and purposes like some of the purest blood out there, right? Because she's 100% Valarian. Um I'm excited to see what happens with this dragon. I think that it's kind of a great equalizer because of Vagar um, and what we see later with Vagar and how it's not really fully tamed. Big ups for me, favorite scene of the episode, personally. Uh, with Bela and Reyna, we have another Eric and Eric situation in which I can't really... I, I they're, They have not had a line in a long time. Like Which as the, the older girl? I don't know. They're twins. <laughs> Are they? They're twins. They're twins. No, yeah. they're they're different. They they look different. They they're different sizes. Are they? But I'm okay. I'm pretty sure they're twins. <laughs> okay. Um, We're fans, not experts here at the Media Game Movie Club. <laughs> <laughs> we are living up to our name. Uh, Which so ones engaged to do gays? I could not answer that question. It's a total coin. Oh, Raina. I can't. Raina is engaged okay. to Jace, and Bela was was engaged to Luke. And I um, thought Bela is the one that had the dragon, and Raina did not. I don't. Hang on. Let me look it up. I get, I get, like, get, yeah, this is the show falling down, where these like two very important characters. I mean, yeah, first I thought of, the older one was the one that doesn't have it because she was the one who thought she was supposed to get Mom's dragon. Okay. Okay. I mean. These like character details are one thing. Like they need lines. They need to be. They need to do more than like smile at these inoffensive white boys. <laughs> we need to really build their characters out. Like this is a project for the next season. They seem to be integral to the whole thing. 
and I'm looking at a wiki here. She has, okay, so Bela is the older, but they're twins. So she was okay. the firstborn twin. Reyna is younger. Uh, she is a dragon rider who rode Moon Dancer. Sorry if that's a spoiler. Uh, yeah, I think that's the dragon that she's that she's had like since birth. Okay. Uh, then the other one. I mean, be careful because it depends what wiki you're on. You might find out something you don't want to know. Yeah, it's no, it's very true. So, so, okay, yeah. sorry. No, I was wrong. Bela is betrothed to Jace. And she's and she has Moon Dancer. Okay. So okay. Raina is the younger. That was on me. I got that backwards. So okay. Everything I just said was bullshit. I hope that Raina. <laughs> I hope that Raina, who is betrothed to Luke, gets this very big dragon. Yes. Because Her, she's been waiting shot. on it. There. We're we're all there now. Okay. okay. I just got their right. names confused. They are twins. We did it. Yeah. I agree with you, Kissel. Like, let's do any amount of character building on these two people who, again, for all intents and purposes, are going to be important and should have some sort of backstory so that we can tell them apart in any way, shape, or form. Yes, 100%. I mentioned in an earlier episode that, like, at, I knew at some point, uh, whenever this book came out, it was between Game of Thrones seasons and my and one of the, and the regular Game of Thrones podcast I listened to it that, in that period of time like did like a single episode recap of the whole book. I retain essentially nothing of that episode because it was so long ago. But I do remember a part of that book being about dragon triads. <laughs> uh, they're going to have these extra dragons and if people need to ride them or they're useless. So they're kind of just kind of, they're going to, they're going to open it up to whoever wants to give it a shot. And like, yes, Reyna hundred percent needs to be one of these people and, and whatever poor bastard, <laughs> thinks he's, you know, lived a good life thus far and, and has been kicking ass and thinks he can ride a dragon. That's how I assume it's going to go. It's going to be like, uh, it's going to turn into a sports movie briefly. Hopefully. I, this is what I, hope. <laughs> and I, I hope it's awesome. And then they move on to the next thing. So They do move quickly. Maybe that's where the humor comes. It'll be a montage. Of <laughs> yeah, that could be it. I mean, uh, yes, I would love that. More Going genre to, in this to, series. To movies I'm sure Kissel hasn't seen. Have you seen the early 2000s masterpiece, The Replacements? I have not. Okay. An entire NFL team goes... It's so good. Keanu Reeves at his finest. I'll say that right now. It's worth a watch. Put it on the shortlist. I imagine these dragon tryouts to be exactly what that movie was. Okay. Yeah. It's the equivalent of non-licensed NFL teams. Yep. Okay. Something for us all to look forward to in, we'll say, 2024. Uh, the final meeting, uh, big, big lords and ladies meeting that Rhaenyra has. There's no ladies in there. She's the only female. Uh, she is the lone voice that is not in full support of the war. Uh, she's thinking of her duty to the realmless protector. Uh, she's thinking of the prophecy that requires a united Westeros. The, sh- the show spends about as much time as it can on this, because I think everybody knows this is not where the show is going to go. But it is a really interesting thread, I think, where once stuff starts happening, it just creates a life of its own. The later it is, the harder it is to stop. What happens really if you just accept the terms? You don't, you know, get to be queen, which is a job that you would probably hate. The show makes her decision for her later. 
but I I like that the show at least paid lip service to just the like the selfishness of all this. And uh, of course, Damon is not interested at all. He's never heard of the prophecy and couldn't care less. Renier clears the room and has a has a little one on one with him. Not only has he never heard of it, he thinks it's about the dumbest possible thing to talk of right now. And he chokes Rhaenyra and tells her to be serious. So uh, a real heel turn from Damon. I have only watched like a season and a quarter of The Crown, but like he's just reenacting his exact same arc in that show where, Mm -hmm. okay, fine. My wife is the queen, but he still thinks that he's the husband and the head of his immediate family. And that first season and thus far, like the few episodes of season two of the crown that I've seen is him reconciling the fact that, no, that's not accurate. Uh, I didn't think it's it was really consistent with his character this season either. Like, I agree. The one thing that he's shown all year is that he cares about Rhaenyra. I, I wonder though, because, you know, again, I think when this, when the show first started, first couple of episodes, we all saw Damon as a villain, right? Like a likable villain, a good villain, a well-written villain, but a villain. And then we kind of all backed off of that and saw, sure. well, maybe I shouldn't speak for all of us. I'll speak for myself. I kind of backed off of that and was like, We took oh. that information from Otto, who we didn't necessarily think of, and Viserys too. Right. And then as the season went on, we came to realize that they weren't, especially Otto, wasn't like a trustworthy um he wasn't an impartial judge. Right. And then I think we all were like, no, he really loves her. He's been there for her, like, et cetera, et cetera. I think that this really brings back into light some of those concerns that Viserys and Otto had about him, right? Which is that he's power hungry. He wants control. And he thought that Rhaenyra was on board with him and that this is what she wanted. And now that he's seeing her kind of hesitate, I think he's losing control of the facade that he's put on up until now. As they enter into like this civil war area, and this is also something that I wanted out of the show. Just like, if this is how you're going to run your government, you stop being an actual person. Uh, Like if you're going to be in charge, you're not an individual with thoughts and feelings. You're a seat of political power and everything you do has meaning to how the people that are supposed to follow your orders live their lives or don't because you have the power of life and death over them. So as Rhaenyra finally becomes queen and she becomes this, this not person, Damon is just very, is a lot quicker to make that transition. I'm not saying it's good that he choked his wife, but if Rhaenyra wants to be queen, this is what it's going to mean. You know, it's not going to mean having dreams in the Targaryen tradition and omens and, you know, talking to beetles and whatever else it's going to mean raw power. And if you're not focused on it, we were just in the previous episode where if Otto ends up catching up to Aegon before Allison does, he does send assassins to kill Rhaenyra and her whole family. And the only reason that's not happening is because Allison got to Aegon first and prevented that from happening. So these are the stakes now. And he he's just fully in his like warrior general, dragon rider, dragon master mode. And like the sensitive part of him that uh, can take part in like a sexy brothel scene 
is just over until the war is over. I think he's being a really good ally in this episode and a really shitty husband. And, like, the two can be true at the same time. Yeah, exactly. That's the world. Yeah. He's more valuable to her as a general and as someone who can, like, get shit done than he is as a husband. I will say, Kissel, I think, you know, you said that her hand, Rhaenyra's hand is going to get forced at the end of this episode to start this war. But I, when I was watching the episode, I, without knowing what was coming at the end, I thought that she decided that she was going to go to war when Damon had not heard the prophecy. Because I think in that moment, she realized how much more her father saw her as an heir than anyone else, because she is the one that he shared the prophecy with. And like, to me, at least I read her expressions and her words and like the way that she was acting in that moment to be kind of like a switch flipping for her, realizing that you know, this really is her birthright and her responsibility as probably the only person alive right now that understands the prophecy. I mean, yeah, absolutely the only person alive. It's just further separation between the two of them. She has this, this dumb prince who has promised prophecy on her mind. And she's never going to be able to convince Damon of it without the dagger, which she doesn't have and probably never will have. So it, it, it's all going to get uh, just wrapped up in her. Like, she's never going to be able to convince anybody, really, of it. So he's just going to have to carry this for the rest of the series alone. And it, and it, it just creates more distance between the two of them. Uh, Riley, you mentioned Viserys dropping his crown. In the previous episode, Drew was pretty sure that was an ad lib. That, that didn't happen on purpose. We all didn't yeah, believe him. That's what I've read as well. None of us believed him in the previous episode. Uh, but it turns out that was accurate. So uh, we got to give Drew his proffers and uh, say, uh, you were right and we were wrong, Drew. Way to, way to sniff out an ad lib and, a, and an onset accident when we could not. Our last chunk of the episode uh, revolves around poor Luceris Valerian. Uh, he starts the episode... Still nervous about becoming Lord. Very little time has passed between... I mean, really, how much time has passed? Like a week since uh, Vaymond was killed and he was um, and he was declared Lord of... Or the, the heir to Driftmark. It really hasn't been a lot of time. He's still not doing great with it. He's, he gets seasick. He can't be an admiral. And he can't be perfect like his mother. Which I thought was a really nice uh, throw-in that... Uh, helped helped the viewer see how he views her because, like her, Rhaenyra's kids are are have have been lost in the shuffle in the last half of the season, and it's just a little it's a single sentence, but seeing how badly she fucked up her youth, and then her son thinking that she's perfect, and then compared to what we can surmise about Luke's youth, which has been like pretty straightforward. He hasn't he hasn't seduced one of his guards. He hasn't made out with an uncle in public. Uh, he hasn't he hasn't picked up a beard. <laughs> uh, so Luke's childhood has gone pretty well in comparison to Rhaenyra's, but that she's been able to put out this um, 
this uh, idea that she's a perfect mother and a perfect woman and a perfect uh, princess. Uh, it makes him more naive and uh, sadder, I think. Well, and, just, and I think here you're seeing the difference between his and Jace's understanding of their parentage as well. Because Jace seems to know that he is actually a bastard. And here, Luke maybe still doesn't think that he's a bastard, which is really interesting to me. Um, Because it's so obvious to everyone, including his older brother, that that's the case, that they really are strong boys. They're not, you know, Valarians. Whatever, yeah. It's (laughs) certainly said he's been called a bastard in public so many times. (laughs) But yeah, he might buy... Well, I mean, Rhaenyra doesn't deny it really when it's just them in the room. It's just you need to act as if. You need to act mm-hmm. as if you're a Valarian. And maybe he's internalized that more than Jace has. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned that Jace gets sent north to Lady Aaron and Cregan Stark. Storm's End is right around the corner. So that's where Luke is sent on his first big boy mission. Uh, he's told that Boris Baratheon... Uh, the head of House Baratheon and the ruler of the Stormlands will be uh, super jazzed to receive a prince riding a dragon. And when Luke gets there, there's already a prince riding a dragon who beat him to Boris Baratheon and to Storm's End. The silhouette of Vagar is uh, gross and really well done. Felt very Stranger Things, like where the you know when the lightning flashes and then you say, yes. "Oh shit, that's a big fucker." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. It's big, dumb turkey waddle where, <laughs> where Luke is now residing <laughs> at the end of the episode. It yeah. made me, like, like scoot up on my chair, though. The second you saw it, you knew, like, something crazy was about to go down. It was just, it, like, so perfectly set the tone for the next, what, 15 minutes of that episode. Like, if they didn't have my attention before, they had my attention then. Well, that was the the shot that in the kind of teaser trailer that came out a month before the season started that, you know, you got to see just a flash for like under two seconds of that, that moment. They said, Oh, Oh, these are, we got some big dragons coming on this show this season. Uh, Vega is outside. Eamon's inside in the throne room. And uh, he's, he's just beaten Luke to the punch. Luke could have very easily, presented the letter and just turned around right then. The game is kind of over already. All he has for Boros is a letter uh, from Rhaenyra. Boros, who, by the way, can't read, apparently. He was in a lot of trouble the second we found out he couldn't read. Aemond, <laughs> uh, they, they mentioned earlier in the episode that the Greens are offering generous terms. Rhaenyra either doesn't have anything to offer, which is kind of accurate as far as like marriage proposal well no she has an eight-year-old son she's got little joffrey mm-hmm. um or she, and uh, she or has I, two boys with damon she has two pure blood targaryens with damon yeah. i think if they were girls then okay i think it seems like just bad form to marry like a baby boy to a to one of like the grown daughters that boris brought that doesn't make a lot of sense but yes, she probably would think it's okay for the age gap to go the other way. I mean, that's just the world we live in, baby. 
Also, uh, like, this reinforces every stereotype about Baratheons that we know, which is just, like, they're big, dumb, fucking annoying. I don't yeah. know. I was never the biggest fan of Robert Baratheons, and this guy just brought all of that back because I'm like, God, the Baratheons are so fucking stupid, man. Like, what is going on at Storm's End? They should have had him chewing on a turkey leg. It wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> they really cast... Boros to look exactly like Robert. Uh, well done, casting department. You put me right in that place. But yeah, Rhaenyra has nothing to offer except you once swore an oath to me, and I would like to, to remind you of that. Whereas the Greens, we mentioned this in the previous episode, like Aemond is not connected, and now he is. He's like they've sealed up this entire region by marrying some Baratheon girl to Aemond. So uh, Baratheons are on the greens. Uh, Aemond takes this supreme victory and uh, can't be satisfied with it. He tries to escalate with Luke. He calls him a craven. He calls him a bastard. He pulls off his eye patch and demands one of Luke's eyes. He's got a fun little gemstone stuck in there. It's a good look. Uh, but Boros diffuses the whole situation and, and demands that Luke be allowed to leave. Uh, but again, Aemon can't leave well enough alone. He plays chicken atop of Vagar with Luke and his and his and his fast but young and small dragon Arax uh, on the way out out of out in the storm as they're flying. Uh, Luke gets away. We don't see him turn back, but just at a certain point, Arax apparently took control of this scenario and doubles back towards Vagar, blasts him in the face with a fireball, and they get about they fly away, they fly above the clouds. Vagar is now out of control uh from Vaymond and Luke gets his uh matrix matrix resurrections look at the sun above the clouds, above the storm, and then he is chomped into. No, he is eaten whole and Arax is chomped into. By uh, by Vagar, uh, really, it, I, it's not interesting if Aemond is like, like a straightforward villain. I think if he is this smart guy that he proclaims himself to be, he would realize the gravity of the situation, and and I think the actor who we had a lot of praise for, just looking the way he does in the previous episode, I think he does a great job of. Uh, having a lot on his face, a lot going on. Like, I can't believe that just happened. What do I do next? What have I just done? Et cetera, et cetera. What does it mean that this uh, huge weapon can kind of just go off and do its own thing? And I have no control over it. Uh, I like all of that layering on this. I feel kind. I feel the tiniest bit bad for him, which is really surprising. And uh, yeah, and yeah, no more Luke. Poor Luke. I feel bad for Luke. Just Rhaenyra's dumb kids. Her dumb kids. A, I've seen a lot the last couple of days about um, calling back to Viserys' line to Rhaenyra early, early in the season that, you know, it's kind of um, misunderstood that they control their dragons. And um, it was a mistake of. The long history of Targaryens to think, you know, they had 
any control over dragons or any business writing them. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things here. I think, first of all, in a series that has been maybe perfectly casted, whoever they got to play Aegon is the best, in my opinion. Like, that actor... And we talked about it from the second he showed up in, like, the teaser for the next episode. Like, how crazy he looks, how emotive he is. He's just absolutely knocking, like, a level of nuance out of the park that I think is so important for this particular character. Um, I mean, I think everybody knows that, like, nobody's going to be a fan of the Greens. Like, they're just not a very likable bunch. But this makes Aegon slightly likable, right? Which is... You know, yeah, he's cocky and he's full of himself because he's riding the biggest dragon probably and because of the way he was raised with like a sense of entitlement in a way that Rhaenyra's children maybe weren't raised like that. But in this moment, you can see like he deeply regrets what just happened. Maybe because that's his half-brother. Who would that person be to him? Nephew. Maybe that's because it's his nephew. Maybe it's because he realizes that he just fucking started a civil war. But either way, like, you can see that he's very pained about this. Um, Yeah, I find myself, like, very rarely absolutely blown away by Game of Thrones. And I can, like, think back to the times where I had, like, very visceral reactions. I didn't know this was coming. I, you know, I didn't watch a lot of the spoilers. My jaw was literally just, like, wide open for five minutes after this happened. Um, because I think that this whole episode kind of slow built to the gravity of what is going on in this scene and like what it actually means to an entire world that's on the precipice of war. And you've got two fucking teenagers literally playing chicken on war machines (laughs) and starting a civil war. Like it was just, I don't know. I, I still might not be over it. Like it was just so crazy to watch. And for me, like that's what this show does really well is um, takes this world and just puts it so far under a microscope that the tiniest things have gigantic implications um, for the people in this world. Yeah. It's, it's, it's again, like the personal backstories of these two very powerful people having like real political ramifications. Uh, Like they're, the final shot of the, I would have really liked a scene of, and maybe this will happen at the start of the second season, but I would have really liked a scene of Aemond back in King's Landing telling Otto or Alicent what happened and just letting that play out for a few minutes. Um, but this is, the previous episode was an all-green episode, this is an all-black episode, and it ends with Rhaenyra getting the news wordlessly and reacting but they're back to the camera and then turning around and like, okay, this is, this is, it's just, just going to be a series of escalations. Like she needs to get revenge for her son. And then the next, and then the greens will need to get revenge for, for this or that son or whoever dies next. I have no idea. And in the meantime, they'll be, they'll be fighting all this out on like huge battlefields and villages that are like going to get burned to the ground. Um, I did know this was going to happen. And uh, like a part of Game of Thrones, like they couldn't have done it this way where like the Jon Snow, uh, Rob Stark, Theon Greyjoy trio are supposed to be are, are Luke's age in the book, give or take, and a little younger, actually. It, it would have just made the whole world seem so much more absurd in like an, in an, in an historically accurate way 
and also really raise the stakes where these like adolescents are leading armies in the case of Rob Stark. And he, like that actor, Richard Madden, who played him, he was great. He was great in the role, but he was like twice as old as the character was supposed to be. And I think House of the Dragon is going to, is going to do more of that. Like we're going to ask teens to do impossible stuff to really stress how stupid and pointless this whole affair is going to be. And it's going to be, I think, really hard to watch because uh, like children died in Game of Thrones, but it was not often that we really knew them. Like Stannis' daughter got burned alive. That was fucking awful. But that was kind of it. And for for like actual... Uh, I'd say Rickon's, Rickon's death got me. He didn't have nothing? a lot six season nothing i got nothing out of that it was so dumb the way he died rickon had more memes than tears <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i think i maybe the reason why it affected me so much is because i cared about the characters around him right like i cared about how it was going to affect the they rest of the stark children about, they didn't do anything about any of that they didn't have That's a funeral for him they nobody cared about rickon no you think we're going to get a Luke funeral? I got to say, funerals? There is no funeral. There's nothing left of Luke. <laughs> There's nothing They're going to do something. They'll have a nice memorial, but there is no body. Yeah, fair enough. Ugh. Ugh. That boy got snarfed. <laughs> I think it's a great preview to, like, dragon death, though, right? That's not burning. I just always assumed the dragons would burn people, but this one was a... Swallow, chomp. Well, you know, Dan- Danny's dragons when they were babies, they didn't. They refused to eat until they learned how to to, to burn. They they wanted yeah. their meat cooked. Have you all seen any of the like um, to scale drawings of Danny's dragons versus these dragons? Yeah, yeah they're, they're little guys. It is unfucking believable. Like, again, I think that this episode did do a good job of showing just how big Vagar is. It's it's sad. Really sad. It is sad. I'm not over it. Like, I, you know, the, I, like, really thought, like, okay, like, it was shocking, great, like, went to bed last night. Now that we're sitting here talking about it, like, I'm still not over that scene. And it so solidifies to me why after being so badly, like, burned by the end of Game of Thrones, we all tuned back in. And it was for dragon fighting, right? Mm-hmm. And to see what they did with that, and, like, this just... I was... It's just unbelievable. Like, I don't know. I just it was a very impactful scene for me. Um, I think because of a lot of things, like, yeah, they did a good job this episode laying the foundation that like this was Rhaenyra's sweet child, her nice child, her docile child. Yeah. We saw him getting his ass kicked in training by Jace, who who the show also does need to do some work on in the second season. Like he seemed he he seems like a just a personalityless like backup running back on any average high school football team who then wears his letter jacket everywhere even though he gets no playing time he, he seems deeply unimpressive as a as a person and i think they've cast him to look a little dumb whereas whereas yeah luke was like two years away from starting a band and uh probably had smart stuff to say every so often and the show like really to like pluck them out of out of this modern uh setting that i've made for them uh the show was like taking effort 
are making effort to to place him as someone who just didn't want to do any of this, who who had no ambitions for power himself. He didn't really have wants, but uh, didn't didn't really want to. Was just nervous about everything. Just a, just a nice little sweet sweet little boy who got snarfed by a dragon. <laughs> and, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> But that's the end of uh, the first season of House of the Dragon. Uh, really, I think kicked into gear around the mid, around the midpoint. Time jumps are tough, but I think they did as good a job. If they had to do them, which I don't necessarily know that they did, I think they did about as well a job as they could have, based on based on how much we like unanimously loved the seventh episode. Um, like we had been around those kid actors for. Uh, barely any amount of time and uh, that might be our cumulatively com- our, our, our favorite episode as a group perhaps eighth eighth seventh, episode right? yeah. i mean you said the seventh episode was the best episode of anything any game of thrones property had ever done yeah so i i think the seventh seventh episode seven. was amazing the group thought the eighth episode was better but i disagree with that personally i mean i, I wanted the kid fighting and i got it so i can't complain there the seventh episode was great uh the ninth episode had a lot going for it um i'm definitely positive on the season but i do i do still think the series is just like fatally flawed in the way it's jumped so much but maybe that'll get papered over in a second season that just takes its time more which i feel like it must they're not gonna they would never be so stupid as to recast (laughs) aemond they're locked into that guy However long he's around. Yeah. I would say that a lot of these characters have, like, I don't even want to say, like, plot armor, because it's not so much that as, like, public perception armor. Like, I feel like Damon has to make it through at least another season, probably, just because of how well Matt Smith has done. Um, I think Olivia Cook is, like, such a highly built actress that she probably has to make it a lot further, which I think Mm -hmm. in turn means Emma D'Arcy is going to make it a lot further. Like, I just, I talk about this every pod, but I think that it's so important because they cast this so unbelievably well, even down to, like you said, like, the Baratheon whose name I could not tell you. He was, like, so well casted that it... I mean, I don't know, because Game of Thrones, like, a lot of things were very unexpected. But when some of these characters die, it's going to hurt people a lot more because they're, they've been so well acted. And we know they're all going to die, right? Like, we all know that. They're all, they're all dust. Like, nobody is making it out of this alive. And I'm just trying to picture how we're going to see these people die. And it's going to be, if not in, in season two and season three... It's just going to be like week after week. It's just going to be heartbreaking. Yeah. You got to assume like one side is going to get wiped out completely. And uh, again, I have a general sense of where things are going. Extremely general. And it's going to be a hard, it's going to be a hard series to watch. I think in a lot of cases, but Hey, if the show is getting funnier, then that'll help out. Then that'll help out uh, with, with all of the, with all the snarfing that I assume is going to happen. I think at this point, Rhaenyra's kids probably still get recasted, but nobody else does. Um, sure, yeah, like the, the eight-year-old, I bet, will get aged up. Uh, anything else 
before we close the book on House of the Dragon and we get back to podcasting once or twice a month as opposed to four or five times a month? You love editing. I, I, I sure do. Yeah, I've started to do crossword puzzles while I'm editing. So that's helpful. So did you or did you not watch A Knight's Tale? Oh, no, I did not. Of course, no, absolutely not. Uh, I did watch Say Anything. I had never seen that movie, movie before. That's uh, it's fine. Favorite. It's fine. Yeah, I don't think anyone is saying that Say Anything is anything other than fine. I think Riley just said it's one of his favorites. It's 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 my favorite of the uh, 80s romantic comedy teen dramas. or te- Yeah, 80s teen romantic comedy. I think that's defensible. Bold stance. Um, okay. I mean, yeah. What's what's your competition? I mean, although uh, John Hughes is overrated as as fuck, for my mind. We all know. We all know how Kinsel feels about John Hughes. Do not get him started on Ferris Bueller. Yeah, Ferris Bueller caused a financial crisis. Uh, Sixteen Candles <laughs> is, a, is a mess, and I'm not going to watch the rest of them. <laughs> Say anything is fine. Uh, Night's Tale not getting watched anytime soon let me ask you a question if i yeah. write a review of a knight's tale can i finally get put in the club yeah that was always the deal <laughs> always been the deal megan write something and you're in the club all right if I don't you have write a Facebook. review of a knight's tale i will comment on it and it will be our most commented on post in months Shit. That yes. is really hard to turn down. All right, I'll clear my calendar. I'm going to be on a plane for several hours this week, so it might actually get done. <laughs> okay, so that's something for Media Movie Club fans to look forward to. Uh, Superfan Megan's take on A Knight's Tale, after which point we can remove the superfan part and just call her Megan from here on Ooh. out. Uh, long, honor. long time coming for that. Uh, in the meantime, you can check out our website, MediaCanMovie.club where we usually review movies we've been doing for the last couple months. A lot of our personal favorites. Um, This episode will come out before our podcast episode discussing our previous three movies, which were There Will Be Blood and Stand By Me and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, In our next three movies that we've selected, we're doing more of our favorites. Uh, For for one last month, uh, we picked uh, Whiplash and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, I did see Life of Brian in the last few months, and I thought that fucking sucked. <laughs> so, Holy uh, was a lot better than Life of Brian, but yeah, it's it's it, it was funnier 35 years ago. It'll be real. I've seen about half of Holy Grail. It'll be interesting to see how it holds up, if it does. Uh, These but, are hey, hot takes. These are really hot takes. Uh, the 80s were bad, Megan. <laughs> I disagree. Like, it's, 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 it's like, oh, it's silly funny sometimes, but not always. <laughs> the tone of your voice when you said sometimes is pretty spot on. I won't lie, but. But yeah, Fear and Loathing is, was one of, my, one of my picks because I believe Tom, Daryl, and I watched it approximately <laughs> seven and a half times a week. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch that movie again. I've got that Criterion Blu-ray sitting on my shelf. I'm looking at it right now. I'm excited to crack that in and 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 think back to a time when Johnny Depp was good and not a necklace-wearing piece of shit. Uh, but hey, that's the end of this episode of the Media Movie Club podcast. Like us on Facebook at Media Movie Club, Twitter at Media Movie Club. 
and Instagram at Mediocre Movie Club. Thank you for joining me tonight, guys, and for this season. Thanks, Tizzle. Have a good night. All right. You know.